You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rain Roberts. Our current serial is Musketeer Space, Chapter 43, Fleet United. The second wave of the combined royal fleet that set out from Paris six days ago was now in orbit around Shelo Station, a deep space recharging satellite twice the size and three times as grimy as Myung. Walking into the briefing room on the Regents' flagship, with Agent Rosne Cho at her back, made the memories of that particular stopover even sharper in Dana's mind. Don't suppose you fancy a duel for old time's sake, suggested Roe in a mocking voice. Dana glared at her, and Roe held up her hands in innocence before crossing to the other side of the room, where the regents stood, with Cardinal Richelieu and Admiral Treville. Someone seized Dana's sleeve, and she found herself dragged into a hug by Porthos, who led her over to the corner where Aramis and Athos were waiting. "'Making new friends,' Athos said. "'Befriending old enemies, I think,' said Dana." She did not know what to think of Rosne Cho, but war did that sort of thing, didn't it? It brought unlikely allies together in a common cause. Because that worked out so well last time. Dana gave Athos a startled, wounded glance. He took a sip from a flask that was decidedly non-regulation. Too soon? She punched him in the arm. It's never not going to be too soon, Athos. Aramis put placating hands on both of them to make them quiet down. Treville's about to speak. But the Amiral did little but wave at the crowd of pilots to command silence before introducing the regents. Lala Louise Renard Royale was bright-eyed and animated in her plain flight suit with none of the usual cosmetic enhancements or hair baubles she favoured for public appearances. Her hair was pinned up in a severe topknot, like the one Aramis always wore on duty, as if the regents was a real pilot. In a grave, majestic voice, the regents outlined the situation. The enemy had engulfed the planet of truth in a storm of ships, creating what looked like a wall wrapping entirely around the planet. Satellite images suggested that part of the wall effect was an illusion created by some kind of gas, but the fact remained they no longer had individual targets to aim at. Only a single enormous target that held a planet as hostage. Is it possible, Dana began to ask without thinking, then clamped her mouth shut as she remembered where she was. The regents' eyes flicked in her direction, and the traitorous Athos gave Dana a shove out of the corner, so she could more easily be seen. "'You have a question?' the regents suggested. "'Um, Sergeant D'Artagnan,' the cardinal supplied before Treville could speak up. "'Um, Sergeant D'Artagnan,' added the regents. Dana swallowed Everyone was looking at her now. She had no choice but to follow through. 
Pretty much the only thing we know about the sun-kissed is that they are shape-changers, she said. Is it possible that their technology, that their ships, can also change shape? All three commanders, the regents, the cardinal and Admiral Treville, went very still. Dana didn't know if it was because this was a new, terrible concept to them, or if they'd already been working from such a theory but had not intended to make it public. That is entirely possible, the regents said, finally. Dana heard the musketeers and the sabres muttering quietly around her, the muffled noise rising and falling in urgent waves. She didn't blame them. It was bad enough to have to fight against ships they couldn't see, without those ships potentially changing size or shape at any moment. That's the best theory we have for how their fleet expanded so quickly, the regents admitted after the muttering died down. But of course, said the cardinal, moving nearer to the regents, we have God on our side. The regents royale smiled as if this act of togetherness was spontaneous instead of painstakingly rehearsed. With church and crown working together, nothing can stop the combined fleet, she said, her voice filling the room powerfully. United, we have so much to fight for, including the very future of the solar system. She paused and placed a hand very deliberately on her abdomen, and it was clear from the quick look she received from the cardinal that this part came as a surprise to her as much as anyone else. For a moment, distaste crossed the cardinal's face. The very idea of producing children by natural rather than scientific means was not against the teachings of the Church of All, but was certainly not preferred when it came to royal heirs and expectant mothers flying into battle. It smacked of pandering to the elemental populace, including Prince Alec himself. But the expression passed so fleetingly that Dana could not be sure afterwards she had really seen it. With her usual polite benevolence, the cardinal led the assembled musketeers, sabres, and other military personnel in a prayer for the safety of all members of the royal family, present and future. After the briefing, Dana considered heading back to the Frenzy Kenzie, though they weren't due to make the final approach to the Siege of Truth for another twelve hours, and she was pretty sure she needed as much of a break as she could get from Base and Chantal, the two of them would be vibrating with excitement over the possibility of a royal pregnancy. Dana wanted to be alone with her thoughts about the transmission she had received and what it might mean for Conrad Sue. In the end, she didn't get a choice in the matter. Porthos slung an arm around her waist, preventing Dana from disappearing into the crowd. Come and drink with us, she insisted. We've clearance to head down to Shalo, as long as we're back in our bunks by zero hundred hours. Reluctantly, Dana agreed. Drink with us turned out to mean sharing a booth 
in the corner of a rather loud nightclub called Dovecote Red, with Athos and Porthos, surrounded by most of the combined fleet. "'She's gone to subspace transport,' said Athos, when Dana asked about Aramis. "'A message from a friend that had to be collected in person rather than sent over the comm. "'So she'll spend half the night in a queue.' "'His weary expression, lit up by the blazing pyrotechnics "'that poured from the domed ceiling of the club, "'suggested that he was entirely bored by Aramis and her social life. "'Speaking of friends,' said Porthos, her eyes gleaming, what the hell is going on with you and Agent Scary Pants, Dana? You were cosy when you arrived at the briefing. Isn't she supposed to be your nemesis or something? Or something, said Dana. There was drinking and dancing. And the night was surprisingly fun, considering they were literally on the brink of war. The club's light show was heavy on scarlet and crimson filters, making all the sweaty dancing look grisly after a few drinks. With only 45 minutes before the curfew came down, Dana headed to the bar for a final refill, when someone smacked into her from behind. She turned and found herself with an armful of warm, drunken Aramis, who pressed her face into Dana's collarbone, as if wanting to inhale her entirely into her lungs. Um said Dana. She caught sight of Athos over Aramis's shoulder. He rolled his eyes as if this was no more than he had expected of the two of them. Porthos grinned and made an encouraging gesture that was entirely unhelpful. If she let go now, Aramis would surely slide to the floor, presuming she was as drunk as she seemed. Just as Dana had this thought, Aramis slithered a little higher to nip her on the earlobe and whisper, Go with it. We need an excuse to be alone. Dana opened her mouth to complain that the pretense was entirely unnecessary, given that the entire fleet knew that they were friends, and it would hardly be out of character for the two of them to slope off to some quiet corner together, without the need for gratuitous making out. Her mistake was in opening her mouth, because now she had Aramis's tongue to deal with, and there was no thinking about anything remotely practical when she was having the very breath kissed out of her. Well, that was discreet, Dana managed to complain, eight lingering kisses later, when they finally tumbled through the door of a private room above the club. Possibly there was a side bet with Porthos about how enthusiastically you'd respond to espionage kisses, Aramis said, throwing herself on the bed. Like kissing hasn't got me into enough trouble lately, Dana sighed, perching on the edge of what was either a very uncomfortable bed or a very soft massage table. What on earth is all this about? Aramis produced an antique pearl eardrop. When she laid it on Dana's dark brown wrist, it burrowed into her skin like any other data stud. I was asked to collect a message from a mutual friend of ours. Big surprise, since it was news to me you'd even met. Dana gave her a bleary look. I've been flying a giant space boat for nearly a week with minimal rest cycles. 
Do you think you could explain without all the flourish? Aramis pouted and wriggled back on the bed until her head hit the pillow. Flourish is my best thing. Aramis, come on. You know how your Conrad was teammates with Prince Alec and my ex, Chevreuse? Dana hesitated. Yes? That seemed safe enough. Well, while you were running around Paris trying to seduce the relevant information out of that backstabbing alien bastard who broke Athos's heart, without flourish, Aramis, turns out that Prince Alec launched his own rescue mission, the second that the regents left Luna Palais for the front, without involving a single musketeer, which I'm trying not to take personally. Aramis tapped the new pearl stud on Dana's wrist and smiled. Want to watch a handsome prince save your boyfriend? Dana sat through the holographic recording, trying not to hyperventilate. This was the same transmission she had viewed back on the Frenzy Kenzie before Bass's security measures severed the connection. The clip from the game, then, the footage of the cell with my lord standing out of range of the cam, taunting Conrad and by extension Dana. My lord had intended her to see that footage. She knew he had. It was overwhelming to think that this version was coming to her from friends instead of enemies. You'd be surprised how many enemies I have who think you're worth rescuing. She heard my lord say again, Say hello to Armed Sergeant D'Artagnan. Conrad's eyes flicked towards the cam in surprise, then away. You almost got me, he said, but D'Artagnan's not the one who's going to get me out of here. Such little faith, mocked my lord. He's a piece of work, Mr. Winterfellow, Aramis muttered. Could he be any more villainous? He's skilled at, si at hiding that side of him, Dana sighed, under all the charm and the pretty. Whatever you say, baby doll, Aramis smirked. He's not my type. Conrad's eyes darted past the cam, seeing something beyond the lens. Even in the dingy light, his face lit up in a genuine moment of joy. On the contrary, he said, I have so much faith right now, Slate. There was a noise, a meaty thump that suggested a fight of some kind, flesh on flesh. Conrad disappeared from sight. After more grunts and smacking sounds, the cam spun around to show the collapsed unconscious figure of Milord de Winter on the stone floor his fancy suit gathering dust. Conrad leaned into the camera with the practised ease of a famous athlete, who had to put up with paparazzi interviews all the time. If you're watching this, Dana, don't worry about coming to rescue me. My team has it covered. Sue, stop pissing about, said an impatient voice. Another figure swept past the feed. This man was masked, wearing the uniform of a red hammer, but Dana would have bet her life it was Alec of Oster, Prince Consort. Conrad blew a kiss into the cam, 
and ran after his rescuer. Dana stared at the fallen figure of Milord before the cam feed finally bled once more into static. They should have finished him, she said in a low, vengeful voice. I should have finished him when I had a chance. Aramis lay her smooth hand on Dana's shoulder, stroking the side of her neck. It's a specialised skill, killing people in cold blood. We don't all have the knack for it. The static jumped to a new piece of footage, dated only a few hours ago. It was Madame Chevreuse herself, her hair pearl white and cut into a tidy bob instead of the elaborate locks she'd been sporting when Dana saw her last. Hey, Aramis, she said with a warm smile. Dana could practically feel her friend glow in response. Just to let you and your Gascon friend know that the tailoring package has been delivered safely to me. I plan to keep it well away from Paris for now. Chevreuse's hand came into view, long enough for her to blow a kiss. Be valiant in battle, win the war, and get home safe, both of you. I'll see you again. There had been a tension inside Dana for so long. Guilt and fear about Conrad. He looked good, despite all her time in Milord's custody. She was going to see him again someday, when the war was over. She looked puffy, said Aramis. Do you think she looked puffy? I mean, the extra weight suits her. She was all cheekbones and sharp edges when we were together, but... She looks exhausted. What are they doing to her on the Daughters of Peace? I can't imagine that life without the cardinal breathing down her neck is somehow less stressful than... She's pregnant, Dana blurted out. Aramis blinked and looked at her. Excuse me now? Dana felt hot. She hadn't meant to say it. Possibly it wasn't a thing, even, but... At least... She was pregnant when I saw her on Luna Palais a couple of months ago, so she must be almost completely done with being pregnant now, but there was definitely a, uh... Huh, said Aramis. I guess that explains why she wasn't along for the rescue, punching my lord in the head and all that. I wonder why she never mentioned it. I never thought her husband was the type to insist on that particular clause, but... They were renegotiating their contract when she left Paris. She shrugged and smiled. Fancy visiting peace once we're done with this whole alien armada thing. We'll have some rec leave banked up. I can buy outrageous outfits for Chevreuse's baby. And you can visit your boy. Sounds like a plan, said Dana. Aramis gave her a big squeezing hug. Better now? Conrad will be safe with Chev until your squishy romantic reunion. Hey, he's a tailor, right? He can make tiny outfits. Every baby needs a flight suit with sequins. Dana nodded and hugged Aramis back. Safe. Conrad was safe. Whatever happened to the Duchess of Buckingham? In recent weeks, Georgiana Villiers, or Buck to her friends, 
has become a shell of her former self. From being one of Valor's most tracked celebrities, she's fallen into a social media black hole. Heartbreak? Drug addiction? Mental breakdown? Or something more sinister? Our reporter, Coral Wishlist, was able to capture Buck for some one-on-one time earlier today. As you can see from the footage, the Duchess of Danger Sports lacks her usual energy and has gone for a dramatic image change. You look amazing, Buck. What are you wearing? The silk dressing gown is from Shania's latest collection. If you're going to wear pyjamas during the day, they should at least be as expensive as a new car, right? That quote's going straight up on our website. (laughs) Seriously, the world has been worried about you since you dropped out of sight. Tell us the truth. Was it rehab? I wish it was that easy. I've been working through a few emotional issues and... My life coach thought it best that I stay out of the spotlight to gain some perspective. I spent a week on an ornamental llama farm and a fortnight in a meditation retreat in the foothills, specialising in mindful silence and therapeutic yarn craft. I'm feeling much stronger now. I'm glad to hear that you're taking care of yourself, but I hope you'll be tweeting again soon. The digital space isn't the same without you. Believe me, I'm planning my social media comeback. Did all that mindful silence allow you any time for romance? Watch this space. After the squeaky reporter and her cams had gone, Buck staggered back up to her private suite and splashed water on her face. She looked in the mirror for a long time her fingertips brushing over the short curls. They were all that remained of her once wild, tangled bronze locks. She'd been sober for two weeks. And Winter had not made an appearance in her head. That was good, right? Perhaps he was done with her. The implant, or whatever it was, might simply have dissolved after a certain amount of time. Or perhaps he had got better at erasing her memories without leaving a trace. No, she couldn't think like that. She couldn't. She really would go insane. A trill caught her attention as a subspace call came through. Since she was already sitting at her bathroom mirror, she patched the call through. Hey, Buck. To Buck's astonishment, it was Chevreuse. A smiling, tired-looking chevreuse, holding a bundle in her lap. Babe, is that your baby? Buck blurted out. It's a baby! I made a baby! Chevreuse held up the tiny bundle, long enough for Buck to see a pink, scrunched-up face. They're so much better on the outside, believe me, but noisier and messier. I'm so not doing the organic method again. Capsule hatching all the way for future heirs to Montbazon's fortune. Her voice dropped to a more business-like tone. Are you alone? No, never alone, never safe, never clear. Don't trust me. Of course. What's up? 
Ah, Conrad's got himself into a bit of trouble. Alec and I just rescued him from this god-awful tower on a freaking asteroid where he'd been held prisoner for more than a month. I'd keep him here, but people will start asking too many questions, and it's not safe to send him back to Paris yet. Buck forced her face into a smile. You want me to take him? I don't think that's a good idea. Your place is huge, and there are always guests in and out. It'll be fine, as long as you can keep his face off social media. Maybe find him a cosy monastery somewhere? Valor has monasteries, right? I know you're all about the historical reenactment bullshit. I'm putting him on a shuttle to you today. Chev. But Buck's mouth wouldn't work, wouldn't let her voice craft an excuse. You have to keep him clear from any government officials, Chev went on. Especially Milord de Winter. He's the Secretary of the Interior on Valor, I think. Anyway, keep Conrad clear of all government officials until after the fleet have dealt with the Siege of Truth. After that, some musketeers will be coming by to pick him up. Or I will, if they can't make it. Got it? No. 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 No problem. Buck found herself saying, the words coming out with an easy smile. I'm sure we can keep ourselves occupied. I'm having a zero-gravity tank installed in the summer house. Chevreuse laughed and blew kisses. Awesome! Alex says, well, you know, completely platonic but genuine and politically neutral expressions of friendship. You'll have Conrad in two to three days. He'll message you when he docks. Keep our boy safe. The call cut out, leaving Buck to sit at her bathroom mirror in a haze of shock. She could hear laughter inside her head. No, not inside at all. She wrenched back the shower door to find the silver-haired man who called himself Winter lying in the empty cubicle with his bare feet up against the edge of the tub, laughing hysterically. So glad I stuck around in your brain, her personal hallucination managed to sputter out, choking on his amusement. This is going to be marvellous. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional owners and continuing custodians of Lutrawita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week. Thank you.